Romans chapter 8. You know, we've come to a situation here in our series on higher ground that we want to consider being more spiritually minded. We want to consider being more heavenly and eternity minded. And we want to consider having a relationship with God more than just a bare knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth only separates us from ignorant pagans. It doesn't even get us to devils. Because they believe more truth than you do. There's, a, there's another level that we want to reach if God will be merciful to us today. We want to consider three more traits of great churches in the New Testament. We have it so easy compared to most Christians before us. And yet we ought to use that ease for greater service, greater love, and devotion to Him. But that is typically not the way it has ever worked. It is affliction and adversity that drives men to want to walk with God more closely and spend more time in prayer and love Him more dearly than prosperity. Prosperity is a deceiver. It causes us to wax fat and to forget the God that gave us everything. And the God that thinks this world is nothing but vanity and vexation of spirit. Lord, help us to this end. We have covered three traits of great churches. First, they are Christ-centered. Second, they beg for the Holy Spirit and are filled with the Holy Ghost. Because we need that spiritual power to bear the fruit and to be the Christians that we ought to be. Third, they are given to prayer. Prayer is a major part of their existence and actions because it's the most powerful thing that can be done for a group of people. And it is an exercise of worship. And it is a barometer of our souls to pray and to seek the Lord in prayer. We cannot be content with our church. The apostles were never content. There's no apostle that wrote an epistle in the New Testament and said that that church had arrived and they could just relax. Jesus Christ certainly didn't say that in His seven letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. They pressed those churches on because there's a constant war for our minds. There's a constant war for our hearts. There's a war for our lives, our families, our church. And we need to put up a fight and be increasing our resistance and seeking after greater mercy and knowledge than we have. They press the churches to perfection, and that's what I want to do for us in this series of messages. In Romans chapter 8, it introduces us to the importance of being spiritually minded. That means that our thoughts are about spiritual things instead of carnal, earthly, natural, worldly things. And what a struggle we have for obvious reasons. We have the flesh that loves this world, and we live in the easiest, most prosperous times of any Christian before us. No Christians have ever faced such an onslaught of prosperity, luxury, time, pleasure, entertainment, hobbies, and what do we want to do now for fun? Never has anyone had so much, and yet we want to give the Lord more by ruling and keeping down this desire for earthly pleasures. Romans chapter 8, everyone loves verse 1, but let's look at where verse 1 leads us. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Their lives are directed by the Spirit of God. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Introductory verses. You have a mind. Your mind thinks about things. What your mind thinks about, your mouth releases every now and then to relieve the pressure. Out of the abundance of your heart, your affections direct your mind. If you want to start at the root of it all, it's your heart. Your choices of your affections direct what you think about. What you think about feeds your mouth. And what comes out of your mouth is an indicator of what's in your mind. And what's in your mind is an indicator of where your heart is. We can, we can look at it in either direction. But this passage is telling us that we want to be spiritually minded because it's life and it's peace. It's the evidence of eternal life and eternal peace. And it is the means of life and peace now. The abundant life is had by being spiritually minded, not carnally minded. We've been, we've learned from Philippians chapter three that belly worshipers, God's choice of words, twice in the New Testament, Romans chapter 16, Philippians chapter 3, belly worshipers, someone who worships their own belly, it tells us, after telling us that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, it tells us what characterizes or what makes a person a belly worshiper. They mind earthly things. They mind earthly things. They want to think about the things of this life. That makes them a belly worshiper, and that makes them an enemy of the cross of Christ, because Jesus didn't die for us to help us have a better life with the earthly things here, but to give us eternal life with His Father in heaven. He did indeed purchase for us peace with God, so that we can have a more peaceful existence while we're here below. But He didn't die for us to embrace all the things of this world and take our fill of them. We should be minding heavenly things. Our thoughts should be about other things. This is the great threat to the churches of Jesus Christ in the year 2015, especially in America. We have too much junk. We have too much stuff. There's too much entertainment. Making a living is too easy. And there's all this the onslaught of pleasure and entertainment that is thrown our way. We want to renew our minds. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Remember Abigail? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's been her theme for several weeks in school, is renewing her mind. And we're supposed to, because the mercies of God, renew our minds. Choose to have a new mindset for how we think about everything. Because, and the Bible tells us how to think. The Bible tells us how to think about our marriages, how to think about our children, how to think about our jobs, our nation, eternal heaven, a relationship with God. Everything else is declared to us here in the pages of God's Word. And we want to renew our minds. Remember, Romans chapter 12 comes after 11 chapters in Romans. That church, Paul said, had faith that was known throughout the whole world, and yet he wrote to them and told them they needed to renew their minds. If he wrote them and told them to renew their minds, surely he would say the same to us. And so we're taking as our opening passage, not Romans 12, not Romans 1, but Romans 8 right here, which tells us that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. That's verse 7. Verse 5, they that are after the flesh, those that live by their flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So trait number four that should characterize you, your families, and this church. We are spiritually minded. We think about spiritual things 
and we measure everything by a spiritual standard rather than an earthly, carnal, or worldly standard. It makes all the difference in a world. What is a successful life? Does it have to do with a degree? Does it have to do with income? Does it have to do with the square footage of your home? It doesn't have to do with any of those things. But the world tells us that. And you know, I have preached all these things to you before. I've used slide presentations on Wednesday evening. How do you measure your life? The world wants you to measure it one way, and God wants you to measure it a different way. Are you a success or are you a loser? In the sight of God. And He is strict. He is a hard and austere man, as one lazy Christian put it in Matthew chapter 25 and Luke 19, who put up his talent or his pound in a napkin. We want to be spiritually minded for the Lord's sake. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. For we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 By regeneration we have it, but if you don't use it, you won't be looking like Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1 told us to gird up the loins of our minds. We're to tie them up tight with a girdle. A girdle of the Old Testament. Not the junk sold today. Tie it up tight so that we can direct our mind and our thinking after God's thoughts and think the things that He wants us to think about. Oh Lord, help us. Paul prophesied that Christians were going to be assaulted with a love of pleasure. And so most Christians today are lovers of pleasure more than they're lovers of God. We do not want a church like that. When we assemble, we want our conversations to be about spiritual things. We want our thoughts to be about spiritual things. We don't want our church to be known for carnal activities or worldly programs. We don't want to entertain our youth. We don't want to supply recreation for them. We want to teach them that real Christians, Bible Christians, are spiritually minded and think on Jesus Christ, His Word, and eternal heaven to where we're going. And it's a huge difference today. It's too bad. It's too bad that we are not all underfed brutalized bond slaves. And we're meeting outside in the rain this morning under some trees. It is too bad that you're fat, fed, happy, not abused, and can take or leave your job. And you only work 40 or 50 hours a week. It's too bad. Because if your life was a little harder you would understand the three points that I'm going to make today a whole lot easier. And you would crave them. And you would find in them a relief and balm for your soul. But now they are boredom and drudgery, and you don't want to hear them because you want to get back to your soap bubbles. You want to stick your little dipstick in again and blow another bubble. And that is all your life is. It is nothing. If you were smart enough, you would call your life vanity of vanities and vexation of spirit. Because real life is having a personal relationship with God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and looking forward to being in heaven and inheriting an unbelievable, never fades, doesn't spoil inheritance reserved for you. But we're looking for... I'm hoping for my next performance appraisal that I might get 5%. Listen, folks, 5% of nothing is nothing. Why do you care in comparison to getting to heaven and say, and hearing, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord and having an eternal inheritance? So number four, and we do a decent job. But we want to be better at this. None of these things that I'm mentioning require an overhaul of our church because for 35 years the Lord's been gradually leading us more and more in these directions. 
but we want to increase and abound yet more and more because that's what the apostles desired for their churches. There's so many exciting things in our lives and in our world living in America in 2015. It's a curse. It's a blessing that can become a curse if we don't keep it in its proper place. We have too much. We're so busy. We're running to and fro from what's the next fun thing we're going to do? God didn't create you to have fun. God created you for His glory. God created you to be part of His family. And we, we disappoint Him and we displease Him when we're enamored with the things of His enemy. His enemy is the world. Their lifestyle, which is all horizontal down here. Even things that are not sin, they are weights that hinder us from running a race pleasing to God our Father. Not all things are sinful that I'm talking about today. But even those things that are not sinful are still weights that slow us down. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Lord, help us. We face an onslaught of prosperity and pleasure, entertainment and fun. Help us to remain spiritually minded in the midst of all this junk. 1 Corinthians 7. Now, does the Bible tell us that marriage is a good thing? It is good for the man not to be alone. Does it say that? It says it in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. But good men, really good men, blew it off because they knew that it would just distract them from being the great servants of God that they wanted to be. Do you understand that? And great women did that. Now I'm not telling anyone in here today to go without marriage. You let the Lord convict you about that matter. The Apostle Paul, who blew off marriage so that he could serve the Lord Jesus Christ better, said that it's better to marry than to burn. But he said it was very good if all men could be just like me. But all men can't be just like Paul. But let's just keep in mind that I'm using this as an example I'm using this as an example that things that are not sinful, things that are even good, as stated by God, are distractions to us and keep us from being as spiritually minded as we could be. Am I preaching us joining a monastery and being monks? Not a chance. A convent and being nuns? Not a chance. Just being more spiritually minded than the Christians around us and that we are by nature. 1 Corinthians 7. Look at, I'm going to read a a number of verses. Start with me at verse 25. 1 Corinthians 7, 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. No commandment, but a whole lot of wisdom. Yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good to be virgin, to be a virgin. For the present distress, I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely. 
and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Amen. If you don't like it, lump it. That is the Apostle Paul writing down the will of God by the Holy Spirit. And so I share those 11 verses with you, and they're powerful and they're weighty. Because marriage is a good thing as stated by God, and yet it can be a distraction, as the Apostle used the word, from attending upon the Lord. And so what I'm talking about in this first point is being more spiritually minded. And I have preached sermons in detail about the very point of being spiritually minded, and I don't intend to do that right now. I am just stating it, giving you a little bit of an explanation for what it is, and saying that we need to do better. Look at even marriage is warned about. And so it told us in verse 29 that those that are already married should conduct their lives in such a way as if they weren't. Now that doesn't mean ignore your spouse. It just means put your spouse in a proper place that you can still attend upon the Lord as much as possible while maintaining your commitment to your spouse. You know, great jobs with great pay are great things. That's three uses of the word great. And we should work diligently and advance according to Bible rules. But it is a lesser thing by far than being spiritually minded. We preach both in this church. And that's a danger. But not really, because it's God's Word. And we preach both and we want the proper balance. We have a race to run, and it is a spiritual race. It's not an earthly race of how much we can acquire or how much we can make or what title we can achieve in our short time here. And I've preached to the men recently about six weeks ago. Oh, it's not been that long, has it? A few weeks ago about their race. Just a few weeks ago. Just a few weeks ago, brethren. From Hebrews chapter 12 about the race you have to run and the sin that easily besets us keeps us from winning the race and the weights of life like marriage keep us from winning the race. So, great men in the Bible like John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Apostle Paul blew off marriage. In Jesus' words, they became eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Women like Anna blew off marriage so they could give themselves to fasting and prayer, as you can read in the first couple chapters of Luke. The Bible makes clear that spiritual things above are far more important than our, the earthly things. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We don't need much explanation, we just need application. And so what we want to do is make sure that we, we think more about spiritual things. Now, for us to think more about spiritual things, it means that our heart has to love them more. And we learn to love them more by going to the Lord and asking Him to increase our affection for them, feeding upon the Word of God where the right priorities always exist in in Scripture, so that our hearts become more and more in love with the Lord by confessing sins and keeping earthly, carnal, worldly inputs at a minimum so that our love for Christ and love for heaven and love for Him and His people and His kingdom grows in our hearts. That affects our minds. You think about what you like. You think about what you love. It's it's very simple. So you've got to change this. Keep your heart with all diligence. It says in the Old Testament, in the New Testament it says, keep your heart in the love of God. It's a daily effort to keep loving God the way you should. But if you keep loving God the way you should, it will change the way you think because you'll be thinking about Him instead of the junk down here. And we want to be more spiritually minded. Then out of your mouth will come things that are of the Spirit and about the Spirit and about Christ and you will positively impact those around you. If you love the things of this life, if you love your family, love your house, love your stuff, love your junk, love your toys... Love your physical fitness, love your clothes, love your junk. If you love your junk, that's what you think about, and you really get messed up when something happens to your junk, or something happens to your family, and nothing ever comes out of your mouth that's a tree of life to anyone. Right. Brethren, we only, listen, did I say that I wanted to cover three? It's, it's simple, but it's a choice. 
It's a choice we've got to make, and it's a choice as a church that we want to make. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If you can see it, it's junk. You say, does that mean my spouse? Do I need to read 1 Corinthians 7 to you again? That those which be married be as though they were not. In comparison to Christ, marriage is junk. Because of Christ, we love our spouses. And that ought to be the highest, most stable, most powerful reason for loving our spouses is because of Christ. And the Bible does use other motivations to keep us loving our spouses as well, but that should be fundamental. Look at the verse. If you can see it, it's junk. It's going away. Either it's going to be taken away from you by rust or moths or thieves, or you're going to be taken away from it. And when you pass out of this world, you're not going to have a set of keys to any vehicle, and you're not even going to have the clothes on your back, and you're not even going to have your child's piggy bank. You're going out of here with nothing. And it's amazing how much men want to heap up stuff while they're in this world and we're all going to leave it. They put so much stock in their families. There's a family in heaven that we should put our stock in. And every family member of ours biologically on earth that is a member of that family and loves that family, we can and should love. Spiritually minded. Measuring everything by its spiritual value. All that is in the world is not of God. It's against God. And to flirt with it is spiritual adultery. No man can serve two masters, Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And that's the temptation. And we don't want our church to think that we can serve two masters. We can only serve one. And so we have to constantly be about the business of keeping our love of God and love of Christ first above every other distracting, enticing, seducing thing in this world. Whether it be a person or whether it be an actual object. You know, delight thyself also in the Lord, Psalm 37, 4. It's a wonderful thing to do that. Acquaint now thyself with Him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Job 22 and verse 21. Let the dead bury the dead is what the Bible says. You have enough obligation and enough effort and enough susceptibility to sin to focus on the spiritual things and don't get detracted by the people and the things of this world. God's going to bring a sword and cut some of them off to show you where your priority ought to be. And I hope we pass the test well. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah 9. Oh Lord, help us. This is so simple. We just choose to think about spiritual things more than carnal, earthly, worldly things. Now to make that choice for our minds, we have to have a heart that's been prepared, and that heart has been prepared by keeping it free or reduced carnal inputs and going to the Lord and asking Him to renew our first love. We repent and renew first love so that the things of the Lord are the most important to us. Jeremiah, a great comparison. You've heard this so many times, and Brother Matthew presented it to us on a Wednesday evening just a couple weeks ago. Verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. There's one thing earthlings glory in. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. There's another. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. There's a third. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. This is a beautiful comparison. The world loves three things. Education, riches, and athletic prowess. Financial acumen. Promotions on the job. They love physical fitness. Physical attractiveness, athletic accomplishments, they love degrees, education, intellectual thinking, 
intellectual speaking and reading. God just blasts all three of those things and says, don't get excited. Don't glory in those things. Don't get excited with those things. Get excited that you know me. That you know me. That I have revealed myself, the Lord Jehovah. Not Allah, not Vishnu, not Brahma, not the great spirit of the Indians, but the Lord Jehovah, that you know me. And that I exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. That's a great comparison. What drives you? What motivates you? What thrills you? It should be knowing God. Not these other three things. But the world constantly assaults us with these three things. And our flesh loves these three things. We love to be the intellectual in a circle that has the answers the others don't have. We love to have more money and a higher position and a better title on our business card than the others that we're having lunch with. And on and on it goes. We love to be more physically fit. And who cares? Do you know how much of those three you're going to take with you when you go? When the Lord sends His lowest, stupidest angel to meet you at heaven's gate, you're going to immediately know that you are retarded. So you're not going to have any intellectual prowess to, to speak of. And when that angel moves across the universe like a flash of lightning, you're going to realize that your 30, your 25 minute 5K is kind of slow. It just, let's be spiritually minded. When we come to church, you know, let's not talk about stupid things like the rain and the weather unless we're going to talk about the Lord being in charge of it and starving California of water and giving it all to us. Have you read anything that's been going on recently? I bless His holy name. They're getting what they deserve, and I hope that we're getting a little bit of what this nation, this state deserves. Um, You know, so many churches get together and the guys are talking about their softball team or their basketball team or some sports team, professional sports, or this or that. That's No! And we're good. We're good. But uh, you know what the apostle would say if he was here? Yet I pray that you would abound more and more. So that's why I'm preaching on it. We've learned those things. We know what it was like being in those churches before that talk about those kind of things as soon as the service ends and they talk right up to it starting. Health, wealth, family, friends, jobs, politics, houses, cars, and all such are far lesser than spiritual things. I hope you enjoyed the song that we sang before the preaching this morning, What Empty Things. In that second verse, I believe it was, and the second line of that second verse, it said that wealth, safety, health, and all my friends are nothing in comparison to God. Amen. And I've been trying to preach that recently. Some of you may have felt a little hurt because I was ridiculing health. I'm sorry if you were hurt, but the point is in comparison. And I want to show you that songwriters who have their priorities correct do not value health very highly because it would be better if we had a broken down body and a fat soul than to have a physically fit, perfect health body and a starving soul, or a carnally-minded soul, or a lean soul, as the Bible describes it. We need to direct our conversations and encourage each other towards spiritual subjects. Just like everyone else directs subjects to their job, you know, you, oh, don't let it be anyone in this church membership. You, you want to talk about your job. Your job is so unimportant compared to your relationship with the Lord. Right. You know, when, when people get together, they want to tell you about their new friend. They want to tell you, look, I'm engaged. Who gives a rip that you're engaged? Do you know that you're the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, the high king of heaven? You know what I'm saying. I'm doing the, doing a comparison. A comparison between those two things. And yet, there are people that will constantly be talking about their job, about their health, about something new they bought, about a new friend, about being engaged, but they don't pop those things as freely about the Lord Jesus Christ, about heaven, about the Word of God, and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? What's wrong? 
Because their priorities are turned upside down. They are of the world. They are belly worshipers. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. If you don't talk about the cross of Christ, you're the enemy of the cross of Christ. You're minding earthly things. Lord, help us. You know, they want to get together and talk about their babies. My baby burped more this week than last week. My baby got potty trained. Well, did you get eternally trained this week? And there is a place for women to help each other with babies. But brethren, when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, He will be asking you, and it will be not like hearing me. He will be asking you why you didn't talk about Him. Why you didn't love Him. Why you didn't think that heaven was worthy of your noting and looking forward to. That you are looking forward to something else that you're going to do this afternoon or tomorrow. He'll ask. And He'll expose you that you were a belly worshiper and we don't want any. When you get with even one soul, brethren, you should have an agenda to protect that conversation from folly so that it directs itself spiritually. We have to talk about worldly things from time to time, but let's always put them in a spiritual light. You know, when we talk about success in the job in this church at men's meetings, we talk about it always on a foundation of Bible verses. Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse. This is what God wants you to do, and this is the limit. He doesn't want any of us to be rich. He wants us to achieve these financial goals. And we want to always present it that way, and we want to talk about everything that way. What does your Facebook page say about you? What is its theme? Its content? Its appeals to those that might happen to look on it and waste their time doing so? What does your Facebook page have? When you write an email or send a text, how often do you include a verse? Not as letterhead. That's cheating. Sending a verse with a point to make to improve somebody's life. Fathers need to take the lead to set the foundation, parameters, and goals for their family that were more spiritually minded. Let's guard, limit, and correct the worldly inputs to our minds and to our families. For we will never amount to more than what is in our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart come the evil thoughts. It's our hearts. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. That's what we want to be. Successful Christian businessmen with the emphasis on success and business. But you can't have your cake and eat it too because you can't serve two masters. You've got to serve one and make the other your servant. And so we serve God and make our business serve us. Bodily exercise or things like it, we must shout about its little value. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's just be more spiritually minded The church does not need an overhaul. It just needs to abound in it more and more. And that's that's what I'm trying to preach to you this morning. It's a great threat. It is the perilous times of the last days. And this is one of the great threats that most churches and most Christians are not spiritually minded. They're earthly minded. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, "...but but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness." That's what we want to do. Verse 8, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. And so, trait number 4 is to be spiritually minded. Trait number 5, so closely related, but different. What was number 4 again? To be spiritually minded. What was number three? More prayer. What was number two? More Holy Spirit and us asking and being filled with the Holy Spirit. What was number one? The Lord Jesus Christ preeminent and central in all things. What was number four? Spiritually minded. That we think, speak, and love spiritual things over earthly, carnal, worldly things. Number five, a heavenly perspective. That is not spiritually minded. It is a subset of being spiritually minded, and that is to be eternally oriented and heavenly oriented rather than horizontally on this plane. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We are looking through the Bible for traits of great churches. 
traits that Paul said we ought to have so that we get more of them and do them better so that we can be a better church for the glory of God and the profit of our souls. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. This rising with Christ here is your baptism. It's just been described back in chapter 2 and verse 12. If ye then be risen with Him, if you're baptized Christian, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's a heavenly perspective. You're looking up, not horizontally. Set your affection on things above. You should love what's coming, not on things on the earth, the things you have now. For ye are dead. Christ dying for us killed us as far as this world is concerned. This world is no longer our resting and stopping place. We're pilgrims and strangers passing through it. For ye are dead. Where do we die? In the waters of baptism. Bury me, pastor. Bury me and get this over with. Let me rise to walk in newness of life as a Baptist that is spiritually minded with a heavenly perspective. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's where your life is. That's your real life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. That's where we're going. And I know, I just sound like a lot of noise up here, because everything in you, and everything other than the Spirit of God, and everything around you outside this building, can only think about life now things right now they will listen there's so many things there's so many arguments against that kind of thinking but right now it's just the bible tells you get over it if you've been baptized then you should have come up out of that water resurrected to want to look where jesus is because jesus is in heaven at the right hand of god And he's got an inheritance for us that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, he prayed that the Ephesian church could learn more and more about because the more they could learn about it, the less they'd want to stay here. And we want to learn that. And so we need to have a heavenly perspective on our conversations, on our minds, and on our hearts. It's far too easy and tempting to get excited about this life now and to degrade eternity. We have more to keep us excited about living here and now than any generation previously. Oh, do you know how many have held hands and swayed back and forth a little bit and sang, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? Do you know why? Because they had miserable lives in this world. Coming for to carry me home. Do you know what we think? I don't want to die yet. There's too much fun to still have. I knew a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, that didn't even want to be ordained when he was 25, 26 years old because he told the ordaining pastor that he wanted to be at least 30 because he he needed a few more years to have fun in his profession. I ask any one of you, have it more important to you than this life? If you say yes to me, I'm going to call your hand. I'm going to say prove it. How many times have you spoken about heaven in the last week? How many times have you thought about heaven in the last week? How have you shown it by denigrating the things of this life? It's a threat to all of us every day. Too bad. Too bad we're not starving bond slaves in fear of our lives. Now then it would be easy to get excited about heaven. There are things here that we have to be diligent about, but they can't consume us. You know, if heaven is just one half of what the Bible says, it should get all of our attention. Anything you admire or desire on earth can easily be trumped by heaven's least. You know that puppy love that you get all worked up about? Your heart beats a little faster, your bowels turn sideways. That puppy love, that infatuation, that feeling, a relationship with God trumps that into annihilation. No fellow sinner can give you the same feeling and fulfillment and satisfaction, joy and excitement as knowing that the eternal creator Jehovah, I am that I am God, has revealed himself to you, loves you, and has committed his son to be the guarantor of your eternal life. 
unbelievable. But you know what? We get all worked up on our puppy love. Don't think that I'm hurting your feelings. Don't be a scorner and sit there and think that I'm hurting your feelings. I've been tore up by my own puppy love in times past. Plenty. I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of all of us. So join the crowd. Be thankful. Send me a note that you appreciate it. That you want to have a real relationship and it's not with another sinful sack of water that's floating around. You know, you're all just a bunch of self-eliminating sacks of water. You're 70% water, just like the surface of the earth. And you know you self-eliminate and you can stuff it in one hole when you eat. And, you know, it's just, you're nothing. And you think that, you think that one of those sending you a text is meaningful? Really. I like those texts as much as you do. But I'll tell you, in the Word of God or by His Spirit, when God reveals Himself to your heart and to your mind, that He is your God and He loves you and He will never forsake you and He will keep you and He will use you to glorify Himself and all the thoughts that He is able to communicate to the human soul, there is nothing that compares. You know, as soon as you get married to that person that sends you those little texts that move your bowels, I promise you after two weeks, it's not going to move your bowels at all. It's going to be an irritation that they're taking up your time by sending you a stupid text. And see, it's only unmarried people that think I'm not telling the truth. All married people know that I'm telling the truth. Oh, I might have exaggerated a little bit about being irritated because of the stupid text that you're getting, but I'm just trying to make a point. Help us, Lord, to be have a heavenly perspective. You know, we, we like this world too much. Lord, I wouldn't want to die right now. This church keeps singing how sweet to die, and I think it's pretty sweet to live. And see, so, right? Oh, come on, I need a few heads that will nod with an agreement with me, or you're all going to think I'm Judas up here. I'm telling, I'm telling the church what you think. Lord, help us. It is hard. It is hard. Because you have set certain goals to achieve like a family, like your own house, like a bigger house, like a better car, like a better job, a higher title. You've set these goals and they detract from heaven because you make them your goals. Let's live in light of heaven like this passage right here tells us. I love these verses. I know you've heard them from me before. But when it says, if ye then be risen, you're baptized, I've got you. If you're baptized, then we should have our affection up there because our life, our real life, is hid with Christ in God. It's not down here. Remember, the Lord led us through the epistles of Peter. What was Peter's epistles about? Up there. We couldn't get anywhere. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Is that how it started? How did it end? Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? The Lord led us there. I'm not smart enough to ever time series. Listen, you can tell I've been interrupting this series every other Sunday. But the Lord led us to Peter to show us an upward view, a heavenly perspective. Lord, help us to that end. We must include and emphasize heaven and its things over earth and its things because that's what real Christians did before us. They could go to the stake and die cheerfully. They weren't losing anything. They were gaining everything. We want to be that way so that we can line up like these men. We want to be like Paul. It is far better to depart and to be with Christ. Do you believe that? Do you think that? It'll change your life. It is far better to depart and to be with Christ. Why are you afraid of dying? Because I'm not sure I'm saved. Then get sure. Then not be afraid of dying. We need to believe and encourage one another that eternal things are the real things. If you can see it, 
it ain't real. What do you mean, Pastor, by saying it ain't real? It's temporal. It's going away. It's going to disappear into a fog, and then that fog's going to disappear. It's irrelevant if you can see it. It doesn't matter. You're not taking it with you. But all the things that you can't see, they are real, and they will never change, and they will never go away, and you can lay hold of all of them right now by faith in your PU and keep them for the rest of your existence. Things that are not seen. They are the weighty ones. You think Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback? Is Jesus Christ a decent Savior? Does a touchdown compare to destroying the devil? And on and on we could go about a heavenly perspective. In our discussions and preaching about earthly efforts, let's make sure we stress heaven and keep it there. We must correct those who exalt the future too much and are dysfunctional here because that's not our position either. You know, when, when they come around, they ruin heaven for us because they're so dysfunctional in this life that it just disgusts us that they call themselves Christians. There's a balance. You know, monks and nuns are not, do not have a proper perspective at all. They're dysfunctional and obnoxious to God. That's a doctrine of the devil to be like them. Rather than focus on the good things of this life, let us point out their deficiencies. Let us exalt funerals. See, we've done that. Let's keep exalting funerals. And there's going to be many more, and they're going to start to accelerate. As great, great events of departure. Do you know what a funeral is? A departure of someone to a better place. A departure. They get out of here. And I'm still here. We want to have the right perspective. And it takes work. It takes work to keep yourself in the love of God, to have the love of God shedding abroad His love in your heart to where you know that you're saved and you want to be with Christ. It's work. The world wants to destroy any thought of that for you so that you will find your fulfillment down here and thus disgrace Christ and be a fruitless Christian. I thank God that He led us from Bible economics in 1986 to the new Bible economics sometime uh, in the early 21st century. Right. And if you don't know what that means, you just need to go to our website and look up the new Bible economics. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for that slight change in emphasis and a drastic change in the interpretation of Luke 16. We want to learn to number our days here and realize how few and brief they are. We should identify and remind each other of the deceitfulness of this life. Very quickly. Number six, a relationship over religion and truth. Number four was spiritual mindedness. Number five is a heavenly perspective. Number three was more prayer. Number four was being spiritually minded. Number five is a heavenly perspective. Number six is relationship over religion. God saved you to know Him. Look at John chapter 17, please. Very quickly. I promise, John 17, very quickly, why did God save you? Did He save you because He felt sorry for you? No, He saved you for His own glory, for Him to reveal Himself to you as a vessel of mercy. John chapter 17, verse 2, Jesus is praying here. It's in the red writing. This is just before He was crucified. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. First John 5.20 teaches the same point by the same Bible writer. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. There is a personality. There is a being in the universe that trumps all of our beings and personalities all together. And all the angel personalities. There is a being. There is a person. And I do not even like using that word, but to describe the Godhead. There is a God. I am that I am. His name is the Lord Jehovah. His Son is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He saved you so that you could know Him. Incredible. He has married us. He has adopted us. Which expression do you like the most? That God married us 
and we are His bride, or that God adopted us and we are His children. In either case, it is an intimate relationship with the God of heaven by His choice, His provision, His payment. He paid the dowry. He did it all. And so we want to emphasize that relationship more than anything else. What do we mean? Because many heretics speak similar things like, as long as I have Jesus, who cares about doctrine? See, I've heard those things in my life, but that is not what I mean right now. What do I mean when I say relationship is more important than religion and truth? We mean walking with God is to be exalted above any academic list of doctrines. We mean delighting in God Himself is to be chosen over delighting in the church. We mean fellowship with God in Christ is better than new arguments for truth. We do not mean that loving Jesus replaces or trumps most emphasis on doctrine. We do not mean a peace in your soul allows you to alter or neglect any doctrine. We do not mean that you can worship God any way you choose as long as you're sincere. If you see this as merely a repetition of the first point, being Christ-centered, that's okay. A relationship over religion and truth. Believing the truth elevates you from pagan idiots. I'm denigrating belief of the truth right now. Belief of the truth elevates you from pagan idiots, but it doesn't get you all the way up to depraved devils. Because depraved devils more, know more than you do. And they believe it so thoroughly, they tremble, according to James chapter 2 and verse 19. There is no value in and of itself in believing any mere doctrine without loving the God of that doctrine and having a changed life committed to the service of that God's children. Here's what I'm talking about. Some, some of you know exactly what I'm saying. There was an emphasis in the past to say words like this, but they believe the truth. But they hold the truth. That is utterly meaningless and worthless. Who cares if they believe that regeneration occurs before faith? Who cares if they believe in election and predestination? So do the devils. Did it change their lives? Did it make them Christ-centered? Who cares about the doctrine if they have missed the person of that doctrine? And the person of that doctrine is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many things flew out of their mouths about the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just five proofs. Let us value the Knowing God sermon series and the He is Altogether Lovely sermon series above anything I've ever preached about the five phases or the seven proofs or Calvinism, Arminianism, and the truth. The relationship with God and Christ is far more important. It's why He saved us. To know Him. It, it, It crushes me to hear and to see men content with an intellectual category or classification of doctrine and think that that means anything at all. It doesn't. It is a changed life, loving and delighting and walking with God and His Son Jesus Christ and serving His people. It is not this intellectual classification or file drawer of doctrine. We need to reclaim Revelation 3.20 because it's ours. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That's our verse. It doesn't have a thing to do with eternal life. Any church that ever offers that verse to anyone to get saved doesn't understand their Bible. That verse was written to a church that was missing the relationship because they had so much religion. Rather than only fearing, loving, or knowing God, we want to delight in Him. Let's correct error that honors, justifies, or excuses those that merely believe the truth. What truth? What are you talking about? What truth? Oh, the truth of unconverted elect? The truth of election and predestination? The truth of regeneration comes before faith? What about this truth? Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if a man does not love my children, he cannot love me. He is a liar. That's that's truth. Which truth are you talking about? 
The stuff that the devils believe? See, I'm distinguishing in truth. There's a whole category of truth that the devils believe, but there's a category of truth that they can't believe. They don't love. Love is the greater evidence of eternal life than ever any intellectual or faith in truth because the devils have that. Let's not settle for God's providence in events, but His character revealed in the providence. Let's always be looking for Him in the pages of Scripture. Search the Scriptures, for, and then you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. Let's see Him in the pages. Rather than spiritual songs about the dear old church, let us exalt His attributes. Rather than meditation for self-examination only, let us meditate on His works. With the greater prayer that's been trait number three, you will have more fellowship with Him. With more of the Holy Spirit, trait number two, He will teach you more of Christ's love. But without time and quietness, it'll never happen. Activity and noise are curses of our generation. There's little buttons. There's little buttons on little gadgets that fill our lives with noise and we're always doing something. There is great profit in doing nothing and being quiet. Be still and know that I am God. We need more of that. Let me, I'm closing right, right here. This, these sentences. We don't need a great overhaul. We just don't want to be content. We just want to keep pushing upward and onward on a trajectory toward heaven. We want to find the traits in the New Testament that characterized great Christians and great churches and adopt them as our own and increase in them more and more. That's what I'm preaching for. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the flesh in you and the flesh in me. I'm mad at the flesh all around us. I am mad at the world that assaults our flesh. I am mad at how hard it is for us to truly be spiritually minded with a heavenly perspective and appreciating our relationship with God when there's so much that wants to pull us away from it. But let's pray for it for each other. Let's work for it for each other. And we can have it. We can do this. This is not impossible. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can strengthen each of us in our inner man to achieve these things easily. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Take the other hand out that you have and we'll sing it in closing.